0: Greetings and welcome to the First Timothy Sermon Series here at Good Shepherd OPC, a mission work of Cornerstone here in Houston. My name is Miller Ansel, the church planning intern who delivers these sermons on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Please check out our website at gsopc.org for more information on our evening worship as well as our midweek Bible study. Here is this week's sermon. Please remain standing and take out your bibles your copies of scripture we'll turn to our old testament reading in Zechariah 14 that is the next to the last book of the old testament Uh, not always easy to find but Malachi is the last book right before it Zechariah 14 and we'll be reading this portion of Zechariah that prophesies a time when those who were rebels against God's people Israel will actually do an about-face and become worshipers of Israel's God. So this is Zechariah 14, verses 13 through 19. It says, The word of the Lord. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And then our sermon text from 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. Let's ask God's blessing on this uh, preaching of his word. We thank you, our Father, that we have the scriptures to search, and in them we have eternal life, and that they testify of Christ And that all scripture is given by inspiration from you. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That these things are written for our learning, that through the scriptures we might have hope, because we have the sure word as a light shining in a dark place. We thank you, our Father, that these things, which were hid from the wise and prudent, and which many kings and prophets desire to see, are revealed to us, your children. And we ask now that we might grow into the image of our elder brother. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's no secret that throughout the history of mankind, there have been groups that exclude uh, certain types of people from them. Uh... Ku Klux Klan, New Black Panther Party discriminate based upon race. Uh, Citizenship in Monaco based upon wealth. Uh, Other groups discriminate based on sex. Uh, And some churches have even committed these sins as well, no doubt. However, our text reminds us this evening that the church Is not to be one of those places because God does not discriminate. Four times in our text, we find the inclusivism of the church. Verses one and two tell us to pray for all people, all types of people, not just the peasants, but the government as well. Verses three and four show us God's concern for all kinds of people. Verses 5 and 6 deal with Christ's death for all types of people. And verse 7 reminds us Paul's not just a missionary to the Jews. He's a missionary to the Gentiles encompassing all people, the whole world. So now, in the first chapter, Paul has charged Timothy to teach the gospel and not to Uh, tolerate those who are opposed to it. And that gospel, that gospel is for all. It's for black and white. It's for rich and poor. It's for kings and peasants. It's for men and women. Thus, in chapter 2, we are seeing that the gospel, uh, what it leads us to, and it leads us to prayer for all. So our first point is that prayer is for all people. Verses 1 and 2, prayer is a top priority for Paul. He addresses it right away in this letter. Paul's addressing the order in the church, and he starts with prayer. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life? Paul knows, the Lord knows that as Christians we become sluggish, we become lazy in our Christian duty of prayer. And so Paul sets it out at the forefront Uh, Too often we can be ungrateful for the one mediator who has come, Jesus Christ, uh, and it shows in our lack of communing with the Lord. Perhaps even this evening, just the mention of prayer, you're already bored listening to the sermon. Uh, But don't let it be so. Let's examine our hearts this evening and see uh, that we should take prayer seriously. I was raised in the church And I recall far too many times prayer was not taken seriously. Perhaps you've heard the one-word prayer of a child before a meal, right? That one word, dear Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. (laughs) One long word. Uh, We must teach better. We must take Paul's demand for prayer more seriously. Uh, It's for parents to learn how to pray, for parents to model prayer for their children, Uh, It's for ministers and elders to model appropriate prayer in the worship service. Sadly, many churches like to dismiss the children uh, from the service. It wouldn't be fun for them. (coughs) Okay, learning's not always fun, though. We need to learn uh, to pray. It can be hard. But Paul gives this top priority, and so it should be a top priority uh, in our lives and in the lives of our children. And so in our sluggishness, Paul urges us to pray. Uh, He lists four words for prayer here. He says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. These four words that are meant to be prayed for all people. And thus we are to give supplications, he says, that is requests for specific needs. Uh, Supplications, that's that's a big word, isn't it, kids? Um, It can be big for me as well. What helps me to remember it is supplication starts the same way that the word supply begins. So when we bring our supplications, we are asking God to supply our needs and our needs for others. And so we are to bring supplications before God. Paul also uses the general word for prayer, uh, reminding us to bring them before God, to bring our prayers before him. He writes of intercessions. Intercessions are uh, boldly petitioning God on behalf of others. And then he writes, uh, lastly, of thanksgivings, reminding us to be thankful for uh, all that God has done for us and for all people. And as an example of all types of people, Paul points to verse two, he says, uh, we are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Uh, Do you pray for our president? Do you pray for governors, senators, representatives, judges, and so on? Uh, It seems to me, too often as Christians, we've mirrored the world. We spent too much time uh, dishonoring our president rather than praying for him. We are forgetful of Romans 13 that teaches us that our leaders and our rulers are appointed by God. That they are God's servants, and to resist their authority is to incur judgment. While not all are pleased with our current and past leaders, we still must give thanks. We can assemble here tonight for worship without being harassed. We can go out and evangelize people without fear of persecution and riots breaking out. Recall who's in authority when Paul's writing 1 Timothy. Nero. Nero's in authority. And he was a pagan, as all kings and leaders were at this time in the first century. And Nero would set Christians on fire. He would feed them to beasts. And yet... Paul calls on first century Christians to pray for that man. See, it doesn't matter if our leader is a tyrant, a hereditary monarch, it doesn't matter if he's an elected official. It's always the Christian's responsibility to pray for our leaders. Well, why would I do that? Why would I pray for my government? And Paul gives us the answer that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul and the other apostles experienced persecution. They did experience riots. And that inhibited a peaceful and quiet life. So Paul is pointing out to the church that prayer is needed in order for us to live as we ought. And that includes sending the gospel out to all people. And so we pray for peace... To come through our leaders to seek the welfare of the kingdom of God. It's the same uh, as when the Old Testament church was exiled to Babylon. You might remember this. They might think little of those uh, Babylonians who have conquered them. And then they have made them leave their home and go live in a foreign country. And God God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in 29.7 and said, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Same is true today. We're an exiled people living in a world that is not our home. We are not in the new heavens of the new earth. And so we must seek the welfare of the city. We must pray for our government and our leaders that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life that we may be godly and dignified in every way. And so we see really something of a reciprocal relationship between the church and the state. Um, The church is to pray for the state. And the state is to seek the peace of the church. So these first two verses, they counter the attitude of not wanting to pray for everyone. It can be difficult to pray for those who are opposed to us or that make themselves an enemy of the church. But God will not let us withhold prayer from them. We can't just pray for people that are like us. We can't just pray for people that we sympathize with. God is calling us to pray for all people, all types of people, whether we pray for those in authority or those not under authority. And we also pray for all people because it pleases God. And God is concerned for all people. Verses 3 and 4, God's concern for all people. He says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. As those who have been saved uh, from God's wrath by the work of Jesus Christ, we long to do what pleases God. And we see here that praying for all people is pleasing to God. So as Christians, we imitate our God and we pray for all, all types of people to be saved. From our president to the poor, from black to white, adults to children, men and women, because it is God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 4. Right? That's what he says. Uh, as you may know, verses Well, these verses and verses like these have caused uh, quite a stir throughout church history. Just who is the all? Does all mean all? Uh, Yes, we affirm all means all, of course. We speak that way, uh, can't be wrong. Uh, But the word all is not used the same way throughout scripture. Uh, We don't use the word all the same way in English. Uh, For example, we might say all of the baseball team was at the game. What do we mean? Each and every member of the team was there. Uh, We also might say, all of Houston came out to the Houston Astros World Series Parade. Well, we don't mean each and every Houstonian was out at the parade, but we do use it as hyperbole to say there's a good group out there at the parade, all of Houston. We might also uh, use it another way. All people are making their way to Houston, perhaps in reference to refugees. we're saying all types of people are coming here. So even in English, we don't use the word uh, in the same way every time. And in scripture, it's very similar. In fact, it's rare that we find the word all to mean each and every individual without exception. I'll give you, I guess, a negative example now and a positive one uh, here in a minute, but Uh, Consider Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Does all mean each and every person without exception? um, Which would be strange because Paul here is telling us to pray for all people, that they may be saved. So Paul is no universalist. He doesn't believe all people, each and every person without exception, will be saved. Uh, he does believe there will be people that reject Christ and are doomed to face God's wrath. I'll give you one more example in a second. But uh, here in 1 Timothy 2, uh, the all means all, and it means all as in all nationalities, all classes of people. God desires to save kings and peasants. God desires to save Jews and Gentiles. You see it in verses 2 and in verse 7 where Paul writes of these two groups. Uh, This is the most frequent use of the word all in Scripture. Jew and Gentile comes up quite a bit. Um, Consider this. The Old Testament, to be saved, one had to be a Jew. Granted, there are a few exceptions that foreshadowed the more inclusive um, gathering of Gentiles into the kingdom. Uh, But on the whole, one had to be a Jew to be saved. But once Christ came, the church was broadened to include the world. God so loved the world. It includes the world, Jews and Gentiles. It includes all people. No longer is God just focused on the Jewish people, but he includes the Gentiles as well. And this was Paul's particular mission to the Gentiles. Here's the, the other example of sometimes all doesn't mean all um, in the each and every person individual since. Acts twenty two fifteen, 15. Paul is told that he would be a witness to everyone. Is Paul going to be a witness to each and every individual on the earth? No. Uh, what does that mean? That question's answered a few verses later when Paul, when the Lord says that Paul will be sent to the Gentiles. He's going to be a, uh, an apostle, a witness to everybody, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, to everyone, to all people. So verses 3 and 4 tell us that God longs for us to pray for all people because it pleases him as he has redeemed all types of people. God longs to see all kinds of people saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, and it's done through evangelistic prayer. We freely offer the gospel to all people. So we've seen our first point that God desires prayer for all people. Our second point, we saw God's concern for all people. Now thirdly, uh, we see Christ's death for all people. We see that uh, we ground prayer in the one God, the one mediator, the one ransom for all. Verses 5 and 6. So there is only one God, Paul says. That is to say, there's not a God for the rich and a God for the poor. Uh, there's not a God for men and a God for women. Or a God for the Jews and a God for the Gentiles. There is one God. Uh, he says this in Romans 3.29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Now some in Paul's day and many in ours agree with that statement. There is one god Uh, but who is the mediator then between god and man if we can agree on one god who is the mediator here is where uh, jews muslims and christians do not agree as christians we believe uh, the one mediator is jesus christ and he's the only mediator whereas other groups would say no he is not Uh, but first what what is a mediator Well, a mediator is someone who goes between two parties to squelch the hostility. God has given his law. Man has disobeyed it. So there must be justice. So there is hostility between man and God. A mediator is needed. Uh, In the Old Testament, there were many mediators. that went between God and man, but none of them were perfect. Consider Moses. Moses literally went up on a mountain to mediate between God and man as the people stood far off. Um, Moses died, and God and man were unreconciled. And there were many priests who would sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. They would enter into the holy place in the tabernacle and the holy place in the temple to mediate But guess what? Priest after priest mediated. Priest after priest died. And God and man were not reconciled. It wasn't until the one mediator came, who is Jesus Christ, who perfectly reconciled all men to God. He did so through his life and his death. In fact, when he died on the cross, that temple veil that the priest would go through into the holy place, that veil was torn Two. Symbolizing that the perfect mediator had come, the perfect priest was here, he had done his job, it was complete. That man no longer needs human mediators, but can go to God himself through Jesus. God and man finally are reconciled by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, uh, we read this earlier, 19 through 22 Uh, It tells us, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a full heart, uh, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you're here tonight, If you're looking for others to mediate between you and God, or perhaps you think you're your own mediator, I beg you, friend, don't believe it. You might be a nice person. You might be an even nicer person than I am. But Jesus Christ was a perfect person. We need a perfect mediator, not just a nice, uh, good, civil mediator. We need the perfect son of God to reconcile us with him. For our sins and our text makes it clear that one person that one mediator to mediator to do that is Jesus now I've mentioned these Old Testament priests um, they made sacrifices they stood before God in the holy place you see a priest's job was twofold he had to mediate he also made sacrifices and that's where our text leads us to next that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. Uh, We're likely familiar with the idea of a ransom, a payment made for the release of a prisoner. And all people are imprisoned by sin. We need a ransom paid that we may be freed from sin and its clutches. And that ransom was paid by Christ. And that payment was giving his life on the cross. It's seen from Christ's own words, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To make the point once again, the ransom for all is not each and every individual, but it's for Jews and Gentiles, for all types of people. There's not a different ransom for Jews and a different ransom for Gentiles. There is one God, one mediator, one ransom, Or another way to get at it is that there is only one way to be saved. That is through the ransom of the mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And you can know that's true from verse 7. When Paul says that this gospel proclamation to the Gentiles is the reason he was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What does that mean for us? It means that we have to recognize the global mission of the local church. We might be small, right? Good shepherd as a Lord willing, soon to be church plant. Um, It's very easy to become inwardly focused and, and think about ourselves. But when we consider Paul's mission and how God loves all and desires the salvation of all, we cannot forget the universal character of the church. It means that we must pray for all people. and Must evangelize for um, around the world. It's important for us to pray for our missionaries around the world. Uh, the gospel is for all people, and it's important that it continues to go out uninhibited. That's so why we pray for the uh, the leaders in Haiti, that our brothers down there may do their work uh, without. Uh, riots and persecution and this is pleasing to God and we can know it's true Paul says it. I'm telling the truth I'm not lying now we might hear that today and say well what prompted that it sounds like you might actually be lying right you protest too much Paul Um, however what Paul's actually doing he's taking something of a first century oath that one might take in a court of law Paul's saying that what he has just written is true, and he's willing to stand by it in a court of law. So he's proclaiming the veracity of what he has just said. So these things are true. Do you believe these things are true? Do you commune with God in prayer, not just for yourself, not just for those you sympathize with, but for all people? God desires you to pray for all people. It pleases him. And this means we must engage in evangelistic prayer. Especially us here at Good Shepherd. We have many neighbors that don't believe in the one God, the one mediator, who aren't trusting in the one ransom. We know that the Lord desires the salvation of all people. Thus we need to pray for those around us, for their hard hearts to be softened that they may come to know the forgiveness through that one mediator who paid the ransom for all. Cannot stress the importance of prayer enough, as Paul here makes it a top priority in the life of the church and in the life of the Christian. So ask yourselves, uh, is prayer something that refreshes your soul? Or is it just something you can check off the to-do list for the day? as those who have received the good news that Christ died for our sins. Let us please the God who saved us by praying without ceasing for all men. Amen. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Our God, we lift up your name as you are the one God for all, who sent the one mediator for all, who has uh, ransomed uh, Jesus Christ for all, we praise you for the mercy you have had to the Jews and especially to the Gentiles, and including them in the great reconciliation between God and man. We ask now that you would excite us to pray more often, without ceasing, as your word says. And give us to pray for one another, for those far off, for our president and other leaders, that we may live a quiet and dignified life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.